and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians at the Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. And this week we are starting a series of episodes that we'll do periodically called Book Tourism, where we travel the world through our reading. And this episode we're going to start with Southeast Asia, which mm-hmm. was a suggestion from a listener, and I'm blanking on her name. Do you I remember? can't remember either. I'll I'll look it up. Yes, I'll look it up while you start talking. Okay. Okay. Um, So this was something, I don't remember how we decided to do this, but it just seemed like a fun thing to do. And, and like, I thought it would be fun to kind of set parameters for myself on, on which books I pick. So I wanted to do something that was a translation and I wanted to do books that were by people that live there and not just books that are set there. Um, Because sometimes you, you will find tons of books that are set in a place and they're by people that don't actually live in those places. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of not what we're, we're looking to do exactly. Right. So, right. so yeah, it was really fun. And and for Southeast Asia, I have almost no experience in reading about it. So it was very cool to be able to explore that through my reading. Yes, I agree. I had to read, we've talked about this before. I think that you often read, you use the topics that we're talking about as an opportunity to read books you've always wanted to. Right. And I just go back often and pull from what I've already read. But this was a case where I, I never even really looked, I should say, at what I've already read. I just picked three books I mm-hmm. hadn't read yet on, on this topic to try to give it more of that feeling of being yeah. a tourist. Like I want to yeah. go learn all of that. Oh, that's it. such a good idea of looking at it that way. <laughs> I didn't think about that. It wouldn't be quite as much fun if if you're like, well, I've done this one already. (laughs) Right. So I'll just use this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm trying to find the person's name and I'm having some trouble. So I think we're just going to have to start selecting or talking about our books and then I'll see if I I can. I don't even remember where. Or was it on Twitter? I think it was Twitter. (laughs) It could have been Facebook. Oh, maybe it was Facebook. I think it might have been Facebook. Okay. I'll look on Facebook. I was looking at our email. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so I'll keep looking for the person's name, and do you want to go ahead with your sure. first book? That okay, um, so my first book is The Coroner's Lunch by Colin Cotterell, and this is the first in a series that's set in 1970s Laos that features Dr. Siri Paiboon. And I actually listened to, um, I've read The Coroner's Lunch in print, and I've listened to the second book um, as an audiobook, and they pronounce his name Seely in the audiobook, so I don't know. Um, I'm assuming that that is the correct pronunciation. But it's S-I-R-I is the spelling of his first name. Um, He's a 72-year-old medical doctor who was educated in Paris, but after the fall of the monarchy in Laos and the rise of the communist regime there, he is forced to become the national coroner. um, And the rest of the educated population of Laos has fled the country. And so he decides that he's going to stay because he's elderly and he's lived longer than he expected to live. And he really just wants to enjoy retirement but he's pestered into working um, as this coroner and he doesn't want to do this. And, and it's kind of this, he's, he's fairly apolitical and the regime knows that he's apolitical. And so they basically are tricking him or or not tricking him because he knows what's up, but, but they are sort of mocking him with this appointment that they, they know that he doesn't want to do this. So he is able to, he, he becomes the coroner and he is coming across these bodies that um, have mysterious uh, reasons that they they've died. And he, um, 
he's able to solve these crimes because he will be visited by ghosts. So it's kind of a paranormal mystery, but not in the way that I usually see with mm. paranormal romance or par- paranormal mi- mysteries um, usually have very distinct supernatural elements that are, that are kind of the, it's a surprise to the people mm. that, that they begin to have these visitations. This is, these are spirits that visit him in his dreams. So it's kind of hard to tell what's real and what isn't. And they're, there's sort of an implication that they might just be his intuition talking to him. And this is the way that they're made manifest. Okay. So it's, it's done in a really interesting way that it, it almost has a magical realism feel in, in the sense that it isn't completely surprising to him that he's having these experiences. So his supervisors didn't actually expect him to do any real work as, as a coroner, but he takes his new position very seriously as a kind of thumbing his nose way of, of uh, acting toward them. And so he starts to solve crimes that they expect him to, to sweep under the rug. So this is his, the tone is really kind of delightfully snarky. He's, he's like I said, he's apolitical and he's annoyed that he's being made to, um, to do this work. So he spends his time kind of subtly uh, undermining the authorities but they, but in a way that he never gives them anything to use against him. Mm-hmm. It's just his way of sort of fighting back a little bit. And I didn't know anything about Laos during this time period at all. I, I am completely um, uneducated in that way. And this book incorporates so much cultural background into, in, into uh, the book. Um, you learn so much about life in Southeast Asia after the Vietnam War and the super, supernatural elements incorporate Buddhism and the Hmong folk beliefs that that uh, the the people in in the book would have believed in. And each book, uh, I've read two of these books, and each one has several small mysteries that sort of wrap around each other. Mm-hmm. So there isn't really a, a big overreaching arc um, that goes from the entire book, but in that way, it sort of remi- reminds me of the Number One Ladies Detective Agency series, oh, okay. and I think that they both have a very similar tone because they're, they seem very light and sort of humorous, but they actually have a lot of depth and a lot to say about human nature. So I think that if you're a fan of that series of, of uh, the Alexander McCall Smith series, then this would be a good read alike. Um, it can be kind of tricky to, to me to have a white person writing about a culture that's not their right. own, but the author Colin Cotterell is, is British and he's lived and worked in Southeast Asia for many years. And he actually um, does tons of charity work there um, locally that protects children from abuse. And so he's devoted most of his adult life to to this area. Um, so I feel like he really pulls off his writing well and, yeah. is, and writes about the, the culture very respectfully. Okay. And it's just a very fun series. It's it's not really like anything I've, I've read other than the Precious Ramatswe yeah. books, but, but still it's more... It's just a different feel, even from those. But it's it's very very fun. And the the first book is called The Coroner's Lunch by Colin Cotterell. Okay, so before I go, I found the person's name who suggested this to us. Her name is Eustacia Tan, and she sent us an email or a message on Facebook asking if we had ever considered doing this. So thank you, Eustacia. And your name reminds me of Thomas Hardy. Oh yes, Eustacia. Bye. Um, okay, so my first book was Inside Out and Back Again by Tanha Lai. Um, and this is a children's book. I would say mm-hmm. it's sort of middle grade. Yeah. Uh, it's fiction. Have you read this? I haven't. Oh, okay. It is fiction, but the it mirrors the author's experiences as a child. So there's a lot of truth here about her experiences. 
and it's about 10-year-old Ha, who is living a happy childhood in South Vietnam, despite the war that is going on around her, uh, and the fact that her father has been missing in action for nine years. But she's surrounded by people who love her, and she enjoys all of the traditions and the culture and the food and excitement of living where she lives. And the way the author presents Vietnam, it's very... I don't know how to say, like energetic is what mm-hmm. I want to say. I don't think that's quite the right word, but the way she describes the food and they go to vibrant. the market. And vibrant, thank you. Yeah, like it's a very vibrant environment mm-hmm. for her. So after the fall of Saigon, Ha and her mother and three brothers flee um, the war-torn country and travel by boat to Guam, um, where they live in a tent city before they make their way to Florida. So this is not an easy escape from this country, as you can imagine. And once in the U.S., they are sponsored by a family in Alabama, and they make themselves a home in Alabama, which could not be more different than the Vietnam that that Ha knows and loves. This book was so... So good. I mean, like I said, it's a what I would consider a middle grade novel. It's told in verse, which I've said before isn't always the way I enjoy reading. But for some reason, that format in middle grade novels seems to really work for me. Mm-hmm. As an adult, I thoroughly enjoyed this book. I think as a child, you would adore this book. Really? Like, there's just something about it. It brings such an immediacy of her experience to life. Like, you just completely get the disorientation and all these new things. She's trying to learn English and the like crazy weird things we do in English that make no sense Mm -hmm. as far as grammar and like our idioms don't make any sense. You know, all these things that just, they don't make sense to her that I think a lot of children can identify with that because they're learning so much at that age that, and you know, they're learning English to an extent, like the, the grammar part of it and writing and reading. And I think that even though if you're an American child, you haven't necessarily had this experience of leaving a country and coming and learning a new language and all that, you would still identify with some of the ways that Ha feels like an outsider and her clothes are foreign. Like she goes mm-hmm. to, um, she gets clothes f- f- as a gift and she's all excited about this one beautiful dress and she wears it to school and it's a nightgown and so all the kids make fun Aww. of her for wearing a nightgown, but she didn't know yeah. that. So I just think that there's a lot that kids will empathize with her, yeah. but also identify with her as being... Um, not sure how to fit in. Right. And so, like I said, the the life that's described in Vietnam is very vivid and lush. And then the the life that's described here can be kind of bland. Like the mm-hmm. food she finds really boring because it doesn't have enough flavor. And, and um, I don't know, just the comparisons, I think, are very interesting for particularly for a child to to just get a wider view of mm-hmm. what they know in their life isn't all that there is in the world, which I feel like at this point in time is is a nice thing for anybody yeah. to 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 take a minute to think about like yeah. what would that be like to leave a country uh, that you know and love because of war mm-hmm. and have to go set up a whole new life for yourself somewhere mm-hmm. else. So that is Inside Out and Back Again by Tan Ha Lai. I think I should have written it down. I think this one... I was going to ask. I think it won a Newberry? Newberry? Or it was a Newberry Honor? One of the two. Yeah. Anyway, it's worth reading whether you're a child or you're an adult. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so whoever you are, you should read it. It's fantastic. It has a very cool cover too. Yes. Um, My next book is The Expatriates by Janice Y.K. Lee, and this is written by a woman who was born in Hong Kong to her Korean parents, and then she went to school there until she was 15, and then she moved to the United States and um, went to college and grad school and lived completely here. 
until she moved back to Hong Kong as an adult with her husband and kids. And technically, I don't think Hong Kong, when I was looking up Southeast Asian countries, I don't think that Hong Kong is usually counted because it's China, but it still right, feels still, yeah. like Southeast Asia. So I'm, I'm counting it because I wanted to talk about this book. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so she, so Janice Y. Kaylee, I think is perfectly suited to write about expats living in Hong Kong because she has the insight to write about life there as a foreigner, but she also has insider knowledge and you don't always find those two things together. Um, and I think that she really brings a lot of her experience to the book. So the first part of the book alternates between two women. Uh, one is named Margaret and she's an American who's really active in the expat community in Hong Kong and she has a husband and two kids, but inside she's suffering and she's very depressed and you you don't know why. Um, she starts out the book with renting a, a apartment by herself where she can just go sit and be silent, essentially, which is really, really tough to read about. And then the other perspective is a woman named Mercy, and she is a young Korean-American woman who also is living in Hong Kong. And she's graduated from Columbia, but she's basically been drifting ever since. And she's had this string of jobs that that uh, sort of took her overseas, um, but without really a good direction of what she was going to do with her life. And now at the point that the book starts, she's uh, living in a tiny apartment and doesn't have a job and doesn't really have anything going on. And you, But you know that something um, links her to Margaret's story. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll find out fairly quickly in the book what that thing is, but I'm not going to spoil it for you. But both both of them are are very listless, and they're they're in this vibrant, huge city, but they're kind of leading these isolated lives. And then later on in the book, um, probably a third of the way in, you meet a, a third woman who's an American named Hillary, who is in a loveless marriage, and she wants a baby more than anything, um, but she isn't able to have one. And she's also cr- connected to Margaret and Mercy, but you'll eventually their stories will all three become entwined. And this examines what womanhood means for very different people, just womanhood in general of, of what is acceptable and expected when you're a woman and what happens when your life doesn't turn out that way. So I have to confess that part of my enjoyment from this book came from having been to Hong Kong and recognizing some of the places oh, that they yeah. talk about, which, so for me, it was like a, it was tourism, but also right. to areas that I never got to go to. Actually, the, a lot of the parts that they the the area that they live in is, I guess, a very rich and wealthy mm-hmm. area. And the part that they make fun of is the part where I stayed. <laughs> but it was so exciting and vibrant. Yeah. And and I've never been someplace that felt so um, international. It uh-huh. just was so many cultures that are bombarding you all at once. Um, it's completely overwhelming and vibrant to be there. And I was there for New, uh, New Year's Eve. And oh. so it was insane. Oh my so gosh. It How was long re- ago was that that you were mm, Like seven years ago okay. at this point. Um so it was really fun to to sort of revisit some of those sections, but also to see a part of the city that that was, um, I mean, obviously Hong Kong would be right. foreign to me, but then even this this life that I would never yeah. see um, from being a tourist there myself. So th- even though they're in this really amazing location, they have this sort of cool remove from from the city, yeah. and it's shaping their daily lives, but they're they're still somehow not a part of it, which is is a it makes sense as you're reading the book and then and then it kind of develops their relationship with the city as you read. And there's so much tension between American and Asian values in the book and rich and poor and men and women. There's there's just all of these things that are sort of combating against each other that um, that lead to this ending of the book that's that's a very interesting read. 
It's called The Expatriates by Janice Y.K. Lee. I think you've read this one too. I have read that one. I liked it a lot. Yeah. My next one is In the Shadow of the Banyan by Vadi Ratner. It, again, like my first book, is reflective of the author's past. So it's fiction, but again, <laughs> like kind of a true story yeah. masked in fiction. It's about a girl named Rami who is seven years old when civil war erupts in Cambodia. And it, I'm going to pause here to say I did not mean to read three books that were all about Southeast Asian wars. <laughs> uh, but that is how it turned out. I would, I, after the fact, and I just didn't have enough time because I read the last book that I'll talk about just this weekend. So I didn't yeah. have enough time to go back and try to find another one. But yeah, I thought sometimes you don't clearly, know ahead of it. Yeah, yeah, clearly there are novels that are not about. Well, I think all three of mine are not. Okay, good. So, so we have a good balance. Yeah. <laughs> because I really just portray a place as war torn. Yeah, and that's yeah. I just was really disappointed in myself that that's these are the three that I selected, but yeah. I didn't realize that going in. So. I'll try to keep reading outside of, right. <laughs> of these, but these are the ones I have to talk about. Okay. So um, Rami, like I said, is a young girl in Cambodia, and her father is a minor royal prince, and he's this renowned poet and is a target of the Khmer Rouge as they systematically cleanse the country of the wealthy and educated. So at first, Rami's father is hopeful because the the existing regime is awful. And mm -hmm. so as revolutionaries come in, they think, oh, they're going to change things. But then it becomes quickly clear that they are in danger. And so the new government comes in, they have send men to their house and orders them to leave. And they're sent to a work camp in the countryside. So as you can imagine, <laughs> many horrors await her family during their internment. And I don't want to say too much about who it involves, but there are deaths of people she's very close to, the physical toll it takes to be in a work camp. Now, she, and she had polio. She had a minor case of oh, polio wow. as a child, or as a younger child. So um, so she has her own physical disabilities to, to deal with. And, and in some ways, that almost protects her because there are people who are looking out for her because mm -hmm. she can't do um, everything that is being asked of, of the people in the work camp. And because she's a child, that has something to do with it. But, mm -hmm. you know, they face hunger. They're not getting enough food. And um, it's just a, a an incredibly difficult story. And, and um, the, there is hope to it, though, because mm -hmm. throughout it all, she clings to the beauty of the poetry that her father had shared with her and knows that there is beauty in the world and there is hope in the world. And she always she never loses the idea that at some point that things are going to get better, mm -hmm. despite all of the evidence that there are terrible things. There's she always knows that there's amazing things, yeah. too. So I knew nothing about this. You know, you kind of hear uh, well, you know, you are more into history than I am, but like I've heard Khmer Rouge and I've heard like about the atrocities that happened, but nothing, in, nothing specific. And I'm a person I get a lot out of reading fiction that's set in these sorts yeah. of things because then I have a connection with the mm -hmm. characters in a way that I don't always get from reading nonfiction. And so this was, this was a prime example of that, that I felt completely involved in their story. I was horrified by what was happening. And and I think, not to say it wouldn't have been if it was nonfiction, because obviously the author went through a lot of this uh, herself. She was sent to a, a work camp as a child with her family. So there is a lot of truth to the story, but but some way, for some reason the way it's written is, as a novel, it just mm -hmm. connected with me. And it just beautifully weaves together the, the sense of monumental loss that 
that she faced or anybody would face in that situation, but with the enduring spirit of survival that people really have. It sort of reminded me in a a very tangential way to Unbroken, where there's that just that like sense of you just keep going. You just keep just no matter what happens, Mm -hmm. you just there's something in the human spirit that that drives you to to push through and keep going. And so that is In the Shadow of the Banyan by Vaddy Ratner. Did you say what age group? Is this this an is an adult, adult novel. Okay. This is, well, yeah. I mean, teens could read it, but yeah. I mean, it's marketed towards adults. I don't know if I'd missed that. Yeah, no, sorry, I didn't say that. Okay, my last pick is The Girl from the Coast by Pramoeda Ananta Tour. Sorry if I'm butchering that. <laughs> um, it's translated by Willem Samuels. And this is a book from Indonesia, and it's based on the story of the author's grandmother. She is never named. She's a young woman that's called, that's only called the girl from the coast. And she catches the eye of an envoy from a rich aristocrat who lives in the city, and they arrange a marriage. Her parents and and this envoy arrange a marriage between between her and this aristocrat. Mm -hmm. And so the wedding takes place in her fishing village, but her husband doesn't even show up for it. She's married by proxy to him, and he's represented by a dagger. So that's okay. Then she's married. Yeah. So she leaves the village with her, her parents and they, all she's known is this, this fishing village and her family's entire life is dedicated to the sea. And they, they have this, it's a really almost a character in the book because they respect it and, and treasure it, but they also fear it and they know its power. And so she goes to the city for the first time in her life. And it's just a completely different environment than anything she's ever seen. And so she, once they arrive, she's, separated from her parents and she's given opulent clothing and jewelry, but she's heartbroken, heartbroken at how little time she's able to spend with them before they have to go back home. And so now that she's married to this nobleman, they're seen as servants and, and beneath her. And so she shouldn't even speak to to them. And she has no contact with her new husband and she, she just sees him very periodically, but she spends most of her time with an older servant who is helping her navigate her new life. And they sort of develop a mother daughter bond and the servant feels a lot of sympathy for the girl because she knows that she's that this girl is just the latest in a long line of practice wives. She's not a noble uh, woman, so the custom is that he will marry commoners to practice for when he has his valid marriage to another noble woman. So she, the girl doesn't know this. So she can... Once once he decides that he's finished with her, he can divorce her easily and she'll just be sent on her way and she won't have any claim to mm-hmm. any children. She won't have anything in her life, but this girl doesn't know this. So she is very ignorant of these unseen forces that are sort of um, on the side trying to push mm-hmm. her out because there are other people that want to vie for the same position. So it's written in a very different style than most historical fiction that I've read. It has this kind of spare writing style and it's sort of formal. Um, I can easily see this book being written by an American and have it, it would be much more lush in his Mm, descriptions and that's just not really the way it's written. But the author is still able to convey so much information through relatively little language. He's very sympathetic to the ways that women's lives are repressed when they're seen as property. And it's, it's common to read that, theme in books in in American and European literature, but you don't necessarily always get that perspective in other cultures. And so I really liked that about this. And it also examines what you lose and what you gain when you you are um, encountering wealth in your life. So the author um, I had not heard of before, I I picked this book and I think I 
I knew I wanted to read a book that was in translation. And so I did some research and this was something that came up and it was short enough that I could dedicate time to it um, along with reading other books. But it turns out that he is the most famous novelist from Indonesia. He's considered kind of a classic Indonesian wow. writer. Um, and that this book was supposed to be the start of a trilogy that that showed the growth of the nationalist movement in, in Indonesia against the Dutch uh, colonists that, that lived there for um, a few centuries. But his writings were off, often very critical of the oppressive government that came after the Dutch. And so after Indonesia gained independence, then he was he actually was um, put in work camps a couple of times. And the two other manuscripts that he wrote were destroyed when the Indonesian government burned his library. There are a billion stories I could tell about him from the things that I, I read. Um, I had to, I was writing all the stuff and I thought, oh, I need to cut this out because it doesn't really apply to this book. But I'll probably read some of his other stuff and tell you some other things when I get to those books because he just had a completely fascinating life. So I'm very eager to to revisit um, the stories that he has to tell about his culture. And it was a really great discovery for me. Yeah. And it is called The Girl from the Coast by Pramoeda Anyanta Tour. That's translated by William Samuels. All right. So my last one is The Things They Carry by Tim O'Brien. And I'm going to preface this by saying that while this is an amazing book and deserves all of the praise that it receives, it's 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 like an modern American classic mm-hmm. for a reason. I really wish I had read a different book for this topic <laughs> because this is just all about Americans yeah. in Vietnam and yeah. the Vietnam War. And there's very little about Vietnam as a place, as a culture. Mm. The Vietnamese people are barely pre- represented in any way. And so it just didn't fit what our theme was. But again, as I said, I just read this over the weekend. Right. So by the time I got to it, it was t- too late to change. But um, it it, it's definitely still worth your time. I'm mm-hmm. so glad I read it, but just not for this idea that we were going for of literary tourism yeah. of Southeast Asia. So I'm going to, having said that, <laughs> now I'm going to tell you about the book because it's a really good book and you should read it. it. Tim O'Brien, the author, served in Vietnam very reluctantly and he became an author following his stint over there and was constantly coming back to this theme of war in his writing. And so his daughter said something to him about like basically for catharsis, you need to write about your experiences, like truly write about them. So again, this is fiction, but it's real people's names and real experiences that they had. But he makes it clear that his version of events might not necessarily be other versions of events and how stories like help deal with Mm -hmm. war. It's a, it's a very insightful look at you kind of, your brain can't handle what it's seeing when you're in a war, so it makes up stories right. to deal with that. So so these are his stories, but yet they might not actually be what really happened. It's true to his It's experience. true to his experience, exactly. Yeah. Um, so he wrote this at, at age 30, or excuse me, 43, um, to come to terms with what he witnessed and the horrors he saw. So it's a collection of short stories, and they are connected. It's all about the same characters. And mo- the majority of it takes place actually during the war, but there are some that are leading up to the war. Like I said, he was a reluctant participant. He One of the stories is about he comes very close to going to Canada so he cannot be drafted. Oh, wow. um, and then a few of the stories are about life after the war. And it really does read more like an autobiography than fiction. And I think that even though I can't put myself in that situation, like for any of my experiences of being in a war, I think that we can all 
kind of see how to cope with tragedy, you you tell yourself oh, stories. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. So um, it was. It's extremely gripping, but it did take me a while to read, considering it's a pretty slim book. It's mm-hmm. only like two hundred and fifty pages, mm-hmm. I think, less than three hundred. The subject matter is just so heavy that mm-hmm. I would find myself, which is very unlike me. Usually, I just plow through a yeah. book and and I would set it aside and then pick up a something else to read for a little while and then pick this back up not not days in between but just even a few hours that I'd be like I just have to put this down because the subject matter was so heavy mm-hmm. um, and you get to know the men that he was surrounded by an alpha company and and their personalities and and what happened to them and then it's sad. I mean, there's just yeah. all there is to it. It's just, it's just sad. Um, but there's a, you know, they, they cope by joking around a lot or like making light of some things. So there is some lightness to it, but it's just Vietnam. I mean, what can you say about yeah. the Vietnam War? Like, it's <laughs> just, it's just rough. But I, I thought it was extremely compelling, particularly the, the stories that focused on the after effects of, of that war and, and what happened to the people who made it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally found those very moving. Um, so that is The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. It's amazing. Just wish I'd read something <laughs> I wish I'd read this for a different topic it's about so, war. Right. This is what I should have read about for war. But it's so hard going into this because yeah. you, you don't know how right. much a, an author will right. dedicate right. to the thing that you're looking right. for. It's just sometimes right. you can tell from book descriptions yeah. and sometimes, sometimes you can't. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. you're too far into it yeah. and you can't change. So, so there you have it. <laughs> so we will be right back with what we are reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? Um, this week, I just started a book called Be Free or Die, The Amazing Story of Robert Small's Escape from Slavery to Union Hero by Kate Lineberry. And this actually comes out next week, or I think this episode will come out on June 16th, if I'm remembering my dates correctly. And this comes out on June 20th. Yes, yeah, June, so, yeah, June yeah, 16th, yeah. This Friday. Um, and so if, you're, if you live here, Robert Smalls is a very mm-hmm. um, prominent figure, but if you... If you don't, then, and I had never heard of Robert Smalls before I moved to to Beaufort. He's a huge deal, and rightfully so, because his story is incredible. Mm-hmm. And this book aims to tell his story on a national uh, level. I think I, I did a quick catalog search last night, and we have tons of books about him in the library. Just a giant section of, of the biography section is dedicated <laughs> to him. Um, but most, I think, are from small publishers or their university press books. Mm-hmm. And this book is... Uh, being published by uh, St. Martin's Press, which oh. is a major national yeah. publisher of pop- of popular books. And so hopefully this will make his name more famous with the general public. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know anything about him, um, Robert Smalls was born in Beaufort as a slave. And he, um, once he, he was in his, his 20s, he organized a daring escape using a stolen Confederate steamship named the Planter in 1862. So one year after the war started, um, he was a crew member on that ship and he sailed it out of the heavily fortified Harbor in Charleston and delivered it and all of its weapons to the union blockade that was just off the coast. And so in doing this, he rescued his family and he rescued several other slaves that were also crew members and were, were part of the the conspiracy. 
And this made national headlines and it absolutely infuriated the South. And I hadn't known, um, I'd heard the story, but I hadn't known that his, that the theft of the planter had contributed to the decision by Abraham Lincoln to allow freed slaves to oh. fight in the Union Army. I didn't know that. Yeah, I I guess I, I don't think it was the only factor, but I think that that was it. It changed a lot of minds of what of what freed slaves were able to do, mm-hmm. and there was um, definitely in the South a belief that African Americans were not as intelligent or as capable or just just a, a several steps below the white population, and so this this was something that changed a lot of minds mm-hmm. about about what he could do. Um, so Robert Smalls went on to work for the Union throughout the war, and then after the war went back to Beaufort and actually bought the house that he had had uh, lived in as a slave mm-hmm. um, and then later served several terms in the U.S. House of Representatives. And so he's he's very famous and the South Carolina is very proud of him. And this book is a very readable history. It's not dry at all. The story is completely enthralling. And um, so anyone that has any interest in, in the South or during the Civil War and in biographies or of life after slavery, this would be a, a great pick for any, any, most people have something that they could mm-hmm. find in this book that they would really enjoy. And um, if you're local, this author is actually going to be doing some events for the library. There is a free book talk and signing that is co-sponsored with the Beaufort County Historical Society. And that is on June 22nd. And there's two events. There's one at 11 o'clock at the Beaufort branch and then one at three o'clock at the Bluffton branch. So um, hopefully you can make it to one of those. It will I'm sure be fairly popular. So it's a first come first served basis. So get here early and um, it should be very cool. And it's called Be Free or Die, The Amazing Story of Robert Small's Escape from Slavery to Union Hero by Kate Lineberry. Awesome. All right. So what I read this week is was called Your Perfect Life by Liz Fenton and Lisa Steinke. And this it makes a great vacation read after all of those yeah. heavy war books that I was yeah. reading. It was a perfect kind of light and fluffy read, um, but not in a in a good way, like where I couldn't wait to find out what happened next, but it wasn't taxing my brain mm-hmm. to read it. Uh, it's about two women, Casey and Rachel, who have been best friends since they were children, but their lives have taken very different paths. Uh, Rachel got pregnant in college and dropped out right before graduation. She married her high school sweetheart, and they have three kids together. And she's content, I would say, but feels like her marriage is kind of lacking the spark that that it originally had. She feels a little bit resentful of her husband because he never helps out with the kids, and she's always feeling like everything falls to her as far as the house and the kids, and he just doesn't really care. Um, and she doesn't really get any appreciation. She has two daughters who are teenagers or like tween, one's a tween, one's a teen maybe, and then they had kind of a surprise baby more mm-hmm. recently, and so a, a young baby that she's taking care of, or a young child that she's taking care of, and then these teenagers, and just nobody appreciates her the way she thinks she should be appreciated. <laughs> uh, and then meanwhile, Casey is single, and she's a co-host of a popular entertainment show called Gossip TV, which sounds sort of like Entertainment Tonight or something like, you know, like, in T- not TMZ, but something kind of like, like that. Yeah, celebrity. Yeah. Celebrity news. Yeah. Uh, and she has flings with hot 20-something men and makes tons of money. But as she approaches 40, she's constantly being she's constantly worried about being replaced by a younger woman, like a younger version of herself, basically. Mm-hmm. So she's always worried about, the, is she thin enough? Is it, you know, like all the, th- her looks and just superficial things. 
and feels like it's so competitive in mm-hmm. that industry. So the two attend their 20th high school reunion, and their dissatisfaction for their lives surfaces in that they have a fight about each other, like what's wrong with the other person. Like, okay. And they've sort of drifted apart a little bit. And and both of them feel like it's kind of the other person's fault. Or not fault isn't the right word, but circumstances of the other person has caused them to drift apart versus anything oh, they themselves okay. have done. So... Um, they have this this little spat. It's not like a major thing, but it's a it's a little tension-filled conversation in front of a bartender. And the next thing you know, he's giving them each a shot and telling them to toast to their lives. And the next morning, each woman wakes up in the other one's body. Yee. And so it's just so fun. It's yeah. like Freaky Friday for adults. <laughs> and you get to know each woman and see how they're, she's unfamiliar with the life that she sort of always idealized as being so much better than her own. Mm-hmm. And come to a better understanding. They each come to a better understanding about who they are and then who their friend is mm-hmm. and, and what she faces. And, and then, um, of course, there's a happy ending because this is just the kind of book that gets a happy ending and that's exactly what you want. Um, but it feels pretty well earned, I would say. It, it feels like the way the authors put the story together, it feels like they've laid the groundwork for mm-hmm. it to be a satisfying ending. It's not just, well, everything's fine. You know, it really does feel earned. So that is Your Perfect Life by Liz Fenton and Lisa Steinke. And again, is as we're in June now and people are taking summer vacations, this is a great book to to throw into your beach bag if you're going on vacation. Well, that sounds like so much fun. Right <laughs> so now. fun. It was so fun. <laughs> um, all right. So let's go back and list off all the books we talked about this week. Okay. I talked about The Coroner's Lunch by Colin Cotterell. The Expatriates by Janice Y.K. Lee, The Girl from the Coast by Pramoedia Anyanta Tour, um, and the book I read this week is Be Free or Die, The Amazing Story of Robert Small's Escape from Slavery to Union Hero by Kate Lineberry. And I talked about Inside Out and Back Again by Tanha Lai, In the Shadow of the Banyan by Vadi Ratner, The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien, and what I read this week is Your Perfect Life by Liz Fenton and Lisa Steinke. And if you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. And if you have a suggestion for another part of the world you would like us to to cover in a future episode that we can do a little literary tourism somewhere else, please let us know. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your other podcast provider of choice. Our podcast is engineered by Adam Farver. Our theme music is Kitten by Pottington Bear. We keep our show notes at BeaufortCountyLibrary.org slash well-read, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading. <laughs>